I'm very pleased with the level of success that I'm at. And I think if you had told me when I was 14 and first learning to play guitar that I would be doing what I'm doing today, I would be so thrilled. I don't think I would think, oh, you haven't been in Rolling Stone yet. Like, I thought that's where we'd be, you know? (laughs) I think I would be psyched to hear that I had a band with my best friends and that I played, you know, several shows every month and that I have made, you know, two records. That's the plus side of being the grounded realist that you are. Right. You're like, I'm in a band with my friends and we make... Right. Right. I know. It's true. That's great. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 21. I'm Jamie Berger, and I'm just going to jump right in. My guest today is Nora Murphy, a friend and former Pioneer Valley resident, where she co-founded the band Bulldog. They are now living in the Boston area where they're making music and wrestling with the day job career versus music job life dilemma. And we talked about that and about being a fan and about being a performer and about lots more that I don't have to tell you because you're about to hear it. And that was my point in the first place. We spoke in September. Jamie. Hi, Nora. How's it going? All right. How are you? I'm doing great. Okay. The first question I want to ask you, because the experience I've had with asking people to be on this show is that I get some people who are at some point of pleasant success who are more than happy to come on mm-hmm. and some people who are just kind of cruising along in their careers and have some fame and are willing to talk about it. But I've had very little trouble, little trouble. I've, I've had very little success getting people who either a hope, don't, you know, are repulsed by it or B are hoping to get some. I've had literally mm-hmm. maybe five people say, I'll talk to you once I'm famous. Oh, Really? And I, I pretty much have written those. Those people don't get to be on this show. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. Yeah, it's not the point. Right. Um, but you were like, yes, this sounds fun. So, I, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to be talking to you. And I can, I can tell you a little anecdote. I listened to your first episode of the podcast um, when it came out a couple months back. And 
at the end, I think it was at the end of the episode, you mentioned that there was this hotline you were doing because you, you wanted people to call in and share their thoughts and musings and stories. Um, and you seemed very intentional that you wanted the show to, to cover a, you know, a diverse, Mm -hmm. you wanted it to cover diverse perspectives and you wanted to talk to people about different, who are at different levels of fame and who had different experiences with fame and different feelings about fame. And, um, as soon as you mentioned there was a hotline, I, my (laughs) instant, my instant thought was, Oh, I, I want to be on this podcast. I want to call that hotline and be on this podcast. And I instantly imagined myself on your podcast and I imagined, um, you know, there being a photo of me up on Facebook saying episode 36, Nora Murphy, Jamie Berger sits down and talks to Nora Murphy of bulldog, blah, 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 blah. And how cool that would be. And I, and as soon as I, you know, had that, that impulse to want to, um, call the hotline, I, I felt really sort of insecure. And I thought, you know, this so perfectly sums up how I feel about fame because my, before I even thought about what I would even talk about on the podcast or what I would say, I just thought, I want to do that. And I want to get that attention. I want to be featured like that. I want to be, I want to be on that podcast. I want to, I want to do that. And, um, I don't know, but then I felt insecure about it. And so I did not call the hotline because I thought, well, I just caught myself in the act of really wanting some attention. And so, um, when you approached me to do the podcast, (laughs) I thought, wow, this really worked out for me because (laughs) I didn't have to, um, I didn't have to make the first move and sort of put myself out there and say, um, no, I'd really, I'd really like to do this. This would make me happy to, you know, to, to get to, you know, talk to you and to be featured on this show. So, um, thank you for, for reaching out to me. Thank you. That's, that's terrific. I, I gotta say that, um, <clears throat> that the, the hotline idea I really like, and it's been, while I'm starting to realize there are some people out there listening, the hotline has been all crickets and I'll give the number again, of course, at the end of this. <laughs> but I think that if people even were listening to the show and wanted to call up anonymously with a story, people uh, aren't doing it. And I, and I think it's going to be great when they start to. Uh, yeah. So the feelings of wanting to be on there, did they just, was it just a gut feeling? Was it related to, to being a musician and having moved to Boston and trying to, you know, in the in the last episode, Eugene Merman, we he and I have a, a long running kind of uh, jocular argument about whether if someone puts ten years in doing something, they can succeed at it. I, I always kind of cynically argue no, <laughs> and he always argues very. He's very optimistic, and it worked for him. And and he argues yes, and I kind of in the end concede that what he's arguing is 
keep doing the thing you love for quite a while. I, I don't think he necessarily believes that everybody succeeds deep in his heart. But why the hell not keep trying? But one thing that he mentioned was that there are there are caveats like you've got to be willing to move to the place where the industry is right and you and your fellow bulldogs <laughs> have moved to boston right to the boston area yeah we did yes how's that going um it's actually going great and we've we've never had more shows than we do these days we're having a very easy time um getting shows and meeting other musicians and it has been, it has been a very positive experience and it has been, it has required a little bit less effort than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> That's great. Um, were there five of you when you were here and did you, were you all in Western Mass and all decided we're going to go to, to go East? Uh, ben Craig and I decided to move to Boston That's sort of, sort of together. Yes. That was sort of a collective decision. Um, we all grew up in Eastern mass. And so it, we had gone to UMass Amherst and then, you know, as you know, we stuck around about three years, um, after graduating. And so it felt, um, while it was a big change of pace from what we were had, we had been doing, you know, it wasn't all things considered, it wasn't, um, too crazy a move for us. Our, our families all live out here. Um, we have a lot of, you know, childhood and college friends in the area and, um, already had some good connections when we arrived. Our saxophone player had already been living out here for a while and our keyboard player, um, was finishing up his master's in jazz composition at UMass. And he has since moved to Boston since finishing, um, this past spring. But, um, the band started as just a trio, just me, Ben and Craig. When? We, in 2013, um, the three of us had been in a band in college, a big funk soul outfit. Um, there were 10 of us in this band called kids on a hill, you know, so a, a compliment we get often is that our sound is, um, our songs are, are different from, from each other. And in every set we, we play is not all groove based funk, funky or hip hop instrumental music. We have a lot of that, but we also have a lot of more traditional pop or folk or rock structured songs, you know, as, as housemates for many, many years, we, our tastes ended up, um, intertwining quite a bit. And, um, we started playing some stuff, just the three of us, we learned a few covers and then, you know, I had some songs that I had written years ago that I'd never really brought to fruition with a, with a band. And we started learning a few songs, um, we played a few shows, just the trio. Our first show was at the book mill and yes. it was That's, just the three of us. Um, is where we met when yes. you were working at the Lady Killigrew. Yeah. And you were called Bulldog. I was called Were you Bulldog. called Bulldog before there was a band Bulldog? I was. Ah. Yeah. Um, I was called, I was named Bulldog by Jason Tuttle. Um, he... Who will not be coming on this podcast. <laughs> oh, what a shame. 
but least surprising news I've ever yes. heard. Uh, those of you out there, Jason doesn't like to talk very much. No, <laughs> certainly not in this sort of uh, situation. Um, although I, I do wish you could, you, I wish that he could somehow be involved because I think of him as a, I think he is a famous person, whether or not he would like to be. Um, and I'd be, you know, I, I think he's, he's a certain kind of famous person mm -hmm. that, uh, doesn't get doesn't get the uh, doesn't get acknowledged or you know that 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 type of fame I don't think is explored often enough. You mean kind of legend? Legend, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, he's also someone who has, and I, he and I have this in common. He gets very good at things. I mean, he gets way more professional at them than I do, but then he quits them. Sure. And moves <laughs> on to the next one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, things seem. Uh, a lot of things seem easy for him. Yeah, but it um, also, I think it also has to do with not wanting attention. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he did bestow this nickname upon me um, that that stuck like flypaper. And, um, well, it wasn't anything unique to me. It was more, you know, maybe if a, a sort of cranky customer um, came up to the counter and gave us a hard time. Um, after we served them and they walked away, Jason would look at me and say, get him, bulldog. Ah. Um, or if, you know, a, another patron at the bar was, you know, giving us shit or something, <laughs> get him, mm -hmm. bulldog, get him. Now, was he doing this because you were able to take that role or because you were not able to take that role of being the get him, bulldog? You know, part of me wonders if it was just because I was the person who happened to be there when this funny thought came into his mind. But I would say, um, you know, I'm not necessarily the type to uh, run after somebody and and fiercely uh, get up in their face. I think I think I handle uh, cranky customers in a much more I will smile at you. Uh, no matter what you're saying to me type way. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's uh, brave and aggressive in its own way. But <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I, I do kind of think it might just be because I happen to, I happen to be the one in the room, but it, um, Jason, I'm not the first person Jason has bestowed a nickname upon and I won't be the last and it stuck really well. Um, well, well, I think when you uh, take off, you'll owe him a debt because it is such a great word to say. It is. Bulldog. Bulldog. Bulldog, bulldog. Get him, bulldog. Yeah, get him. And, and it, but it said, it was always said to me around the Lady K, not only in, with that inflection, but also with like, hi, bulldog, hi, bulldog. You know, it can be sort of sweet. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, it's a. It's a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah I, I think when it came time, it wasn't even a question of what do we name this band. It just was sort of like, oh, it's going to be Bulldog, right? <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. it is for sure. Um, what, what's your favorite uh, uh, Boston area venue so far? We played at the Middle East upstairs last month. 
that was a really, that was a really fun venue to play at just because I had seen, that's a place I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, music at and certain artists I really, you know, respect I've seen there. So it was very fun to, to get up there and play. Yeah. Who, speaking of artists you, you grew up seeing, who would you dream of hearing and appreciating your work? Who would you love to hear from? Like, hey, I heard your record. It's great. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. Or um, not. It could be just someone you knew. <laughs> right, right. I think I would want... I think I would want people I know to... I think I would, in a way, be more thrilled for people I know personally to tell me that they loved my music because <clears throat> I would I would hope that it would show people um, a side of me that they wouldn't necessarily get to see, and I would hope that it would give them a fuller understanding of of who I am, and I think it would be very um, it would make me feel like I had gotten the job done correctly if if folks that I knew personally reached out to me and and said that they uh, loved or or you know could relate to something that I wrote. Um, there's this there's this um, Australian artist that I love. Her name is Ainsley Wills. She's she writes very. Um, her music is reminds me of a lot of different things. There's a little bit of Radiohead, a little bit of Tori Amos, a little Joni Mitchell, a little Fleet Foxes, um, a little a lot of Jeff Buckley in her, her music, and she's pretty small time, um, which baffles me because I think her music is just some of the most brilliant and beautiful stuff I've ever heard. Um, and I wrote a song sort of based on one of her songs. Mm -hmm. um, and Bulldog recorded a video of ourselves playing this song called, the song's called I'm Inclined. And we released a video of it a few months ago. And I wrote to her and I sort of just shared the song with her. And I said, I, um, I explained to her that I, I wrote this song. It was inspired by a song that she had written. And, you know, I just said, I'm just sort of leaving this here. You're great. You know, bye. Um, never got a response, mm. but you know, that's how it goes sometimes. And she may not have even seen it, but I think, um, she's the perfect example of somebody that I would, that it would just make my day if she liked it because she's not, mega famous to the point where, you know, I could imagine her seeing my, um, seeing my video. I can't imagine Neil Young seeing my video. <laughs> so, I can't imagine, um, Radiohead seeing a, a video of me playing, but there are, you know, there are certain artists who maybe have more, a more of an indie fame or maybe who are even peers of mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and they're the people that I would, that's what would, the thought of them praising my music is 
um, is more exciting to me than any sort of, you know, pie in the sky, super famous person. What are, do you guys have, I mean, what do you, personally, what are your hopes and ambitions for say the next five years? I, I, I was going to say the band, but I don't want you to speak for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a really good question because, you know, I, I think a big problem for me in terms of figuring out how, how seriously I want to pursue music and my band is my sort of desire. And I would say need for, uh, control, comfort, and predictability. And I do have a full-time job. I work at a nonprofit. I work nine to five. Um, and I like my job and it's been, it's been great. Um, and it certainly serves to keep me grounded in that way that I have always, um, sought and made sure that I that I have. And I, I think there's a lot of courage and risk involved with, um, with really seriously pursuing, you know, your art. And I, I don't, I don't feel that I've ever taken that risk and I have a really hard time imagining myself doing it, um, for, for lots of reasons. And, at the same time, I, I understand that there, there's really only so far you can go. You can really only get so far unless you decide to take that jump. <laughs> I used to have this idea that you work at a regular job and do your art in your free time until you can afford to leave your job. And that is just, and that, I think that sort of idea served me very well for a few years and sort of served to rationalize why I wasn't, um, why I wasn't committing <laughs> to music in the way that I think maybe I could um, and it's really occurring to me now more than ever as I'm starting to see some of my peers start to have some notoriety and success. I mean, I like this past summer, there was there was one week where I think four different people on my Facebook friends list, not people I'm super close with, but people my own age who are my peers who I know in some capacity were written up in Pitchfork and Stereo Gum, and most of them live in New York City. And I was like, oh, right. Like, they've been at this very seriously for, you know, at this point, maybe six or seven years. And they've been 100% in that whole time. And, and they're, you know, this is their, this is their payoff. This is their success. Like I'm very happy for them and I'm super jealous, but I can't say, I can't say that I've, um, that I've 
that I've put that work in. <laughs> I, I was just going to ask if that makes you happy or jealous, but that you just kind of answered that in one, <laughs> both. Can't help but be jealous, but I also feel like, well, what do I expect? I mean, I, I work I work a lot. I've always worked a lot and I've always been very interested in being, you know, self-sufficient. I, I didn't, I didn't want to move back in with my parents. I didn't want to, you know, so yeah, it's in, if you, when you ask me, you know, five-year plan, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I need to, I need to make some kind of decision or maybe it's already been made for me somewhere in my head, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I kind of heard a parent's voice in the description of yeah. having a day job. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you have parents. I do have parents and and they're in your head as, as, as our parents are. They are. Yes. So, uh, so far you have, what is that? How many tracks are on that, the, that record, the orange colored record? The orange record. There are five. Is is there a full album in the in the plan? There sure is. Um, we recorded thirteen songs in March of this year, and the whole thing should be finished up by um, by the end of the year. We're hoping to release it. Here is Bulldog playing. I'm inclined off their yet to be titled soon-to-be-released debut full-length album.
If that led to a label or a manager or uh, uh, another artist of note saying, I'm going on a six-month tour, do you quit the job? I know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, it could happen. So you got you to think about it. So in a way, that question that you just asked me, I've always imagined that that's how it would happen. And if somebody offered me that opportunity on a plate like that, I would absolutely take it. But I'm starting to think that that's not how it happens. It's true. You have to pursue that opportunity for those six or seven years you describe your friend. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, I hope as many people hear this album as possible and I'm we are planning to be strategic about how we release it. And I, I want to do as much publicity as possible. I want to make sure that we have a bunch of shows lined up around the same time as the album so that it doesn't just sort of drop and then dissipate into the, the ether. Um, but I am, when you put it like that, it's not a question for me, but it's, um, but would you quit your job now and pursue it for the next five years? No, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm guessing that you are in a band with people who are at, cause some, some are music majors, some are that people that are at, uh, have varying positions on the same issue. We are in very varying places. And, um, Craig, for example, is pretty much a full-time a musician these days. I mean, that's pretty much his only title these days. He's in um, a few other bands. He's um, in this one band called Strange Machines that's very active in the jam band scene. So he's been for the he's been in that band for about a year and a half and has traveled all over New England for the past year and a half playing with this group and. Um, they're very, they're very active and it's, you know, allowing him to really sort of be a musician first and foremost. Um, Ben and I both have nine to fives and we, um, are doing a lot of music in our free time. Um, other things such as sleep and eating well and exercise are suffering mm -hmm, majorly. Mm -hmm. um, exhaustion is 
very, is just pre- present constantly. Um, and then, you know, our, um, our saxophone player, Alec is, he has his own, uh, he writes his own music and he has his own, um, trio and he is a freelance graphic designer and videographer. And he is very much, um, pursuing the arts, but in a very entrepreneurial and practical and business oriented way. Um, but he does have a flexible schedule, which is very helpful for us. Um, and Christian has a degree in jazz composition and he just graduated. So I think he's sort of waiting to see what, um, you know, what's next for him, but he plays in a bunch of groups too. So. Some interesting in terms of that, I I think, what was your major? (laughs) I studied anthropology. Because as, as a writer and an English major, you do, you hear about the, the Wallace Stevens and William Carlos Williams of the world who had and uh, others who had uh, full-time other professions their whole lives. Really? They kept making yeah. their art, and, you know, either in their lifetime or towards the end of it became famous uh, and successful and devoted more of their time to making the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Ben Miner suggested someone I should contact for this show, and I just looked her up, that you might want to read about her name, I think they're down in what state they're in. Um, but she is a, she has been a judge by day and in a band, uh, by night uh, (laughs) for 20 years. Wow. Um, Excuse me. And she is known for both. And her name is Nicole Lawrence. No, it's Nicole Loren. And it looks like maybe she's in Arizona. I got to pick her brain. Yeah, and, and the band, you could be a judge. <laughs> what, a, what a great combo. And I would think there, fame might be a pretty precarious thing. Right. Because as a judge, you don't, you shouldn't want to be known as a rock star anyway. Maybe you do, but you really shouldn't. Right. I feel like my judge should be anonymous to me. Yes. Uh, That's fascinating. The love me nots. The love me nots. Yeah. Yeah, I got to shoot her an email. Uh, one thing I was going to ask earlier is, is do you ever fear regret down the line at not being built like your friends in New York who are just like, fuck it. Yeah. I will be incredibly um, broke in 10 years, maybe. I I still feel that regret. I mean, I feel... Not, I didn't mean to say still, I am actively feeling that regret and have been feeling it for a little, a little while, maybe for a few years at this point. And I think I used to feel, oh man, I sound like such a jerk when I'm saying this, but I used to feel, um, kind of good. We'll we'll be the judge of that. Four or five years ago when certain peers of mine were not succeeding, I'd be like, well, yeah, that's what you get when you think you can just go, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think you can just go and try to, um, be a musician. And I mean, that was a very, I mean, I'm 26. And so that would have been, you know, four or five years ago when we were all extremely young. And of course, at that point I did not have the insight to realize 
Well, yeah, Nora, no, like hardly anyone gets famous when they're 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not, I mean. But you were like, haha, I'm dri- I get to drive a car that's running. <laughs> yes, exactly. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, when I was 21, like I totally could have like, why, why didn't I just want to like have a bit of a, a bit of a crazy time? <laughs> like <laughs> what's wrong with that? Well, I know what's wrong with that is that that's just not, that's just not really in my nature. In terms of artistic ambition, we all have to keep making stuff if we want, if we are people who make stuff, but we also have to come to terms with the fact that, yeah, when I, The voice of my parents was very strong in my head. I've always had full-time work while doing whatever other thing I wanted to do. There are regrets either way. There are also the, the compromises that some people are willing to make. Morally? To... To have great success. <laughs> sure. And, and I feel like not, I, yeah, I don't want to take too much of an upper hand, but I haven't made some of those too. So right. I haven't made sacrifices and I haven't made compromises. Right. And in, you know, in the end, I think I'm all right with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm all right with it too. Cause like, I'm happy, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I don't live my life in some sort of, you know, I'm not, I'm not bitter about anything. I'm not, I'm not, I'm very pleased with the level of success that I'm at. And I think if you had told me when I was 14 and first learning to play guitar that I would be doing what I'm doing today, I would be so thrilled. I don't think I would think, oh, you haven't been in Rolling Stone yet. Like, I thought that's where we'd be, you know, (laughs) I think I would be psyched to hear that I, had a band with my best friends and that I played, you know, several shows every month and that I have made, you know, two records. Well, that, that's the plus side of being the grounded realist that you are. Right. And you're like, I'm in a band with my friends and we make Right. We, you know, right. Yeah. Well, I know. It's true. That's great. That all said, I hope that I get to see you be forced to really struggle with that choice when you have success with the next record. Thank you. I hope I have to struggle with it too, because it's, as I, as I just alluded to, what a privileged struggle to have. And I just, you know, I have to be, uh, grateful. So yeah, I've really enjoyed the podcast. So it's really good. Thanks a lot. Yeah. It's really hard to know. And no, do you ever listen to others? Do you ever listen to Mark Marin? I I am like the biggest what I saw Mark I actually met Mark Marin last week when I saw him do comedy. You did? So, yeah. I mean, it didn't happen in any interesting way. We just stood in line for the meet and greet and um I finally decided to I've seen him three times and every time I've been way too nervous to get in line. So I finally decided I'll just do it and it's fine. And it was fine, but obviously it wasn't, there was no, there was no specialness to our interaction. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, Ben and I stood in line and we, we met him, got a little photo. 
Yeah. And I think you probably don't want to hear this, but I think, I think part of the reason why I initially was like, why I initially thought I would love to be on your podcast is because I've spent so many hours listening to WTF and being so entertained and amazed by how just two people talking to each other on the air can be so enlightening and therapeutic and interesting. And I've, I've spent so much time listening to that podcast. I promised I wouldn't talk about things, other podcasters on this. And I have, I have allowed myself to once in an episode mm-hmm. with Dan Oppenheimer because he really wanted to talk about it. Oh yeah. I listened to that one. Yes. And it's, it's the, and he, it's so, I see things that I don't like in myself and other people that I mentioned his, his over neediness. Yeah. And, and Dan was like, I don't even hear it in him. But I hear it so much because it reminds me of something in me that wants to say to everyone who comes on the show, was this okay? Yeah. Are we good? Right. (laughs) Are we good? Yeah. 10 years in, he's still saying it. Or whatever years, a zillion episodes. And I just, I just want to shake him. (laughs) Right. Like, you made it. It's okay. I don't, I only listen when it's people I really know and like. I, that's how I started with it. And now I listen to almost every episode because eventually he became the person that I, you know, that I actually want to listen to. Um, he's your friend on the radio. Yeah. He's my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so that- how was it? When, did you, you know, what, what, how did the meeting go? Um, it was very quick. Uh, yeah, it was a big line. We were towards the end. Um, so I did email him a couple years ago, an email that sort of makes me cringe now when I think about it. Um, but it was when I first started listening to the podcast very, uh, on a very regular basis, and I was listening through the archives. So there was really nothing stopping me from listening to it for hours a day. And I was, um, farming as well. So I just would like throw my headphones in and go out in the field and, you know, so I just sort of wrote, I wrote an email saying like, Oh, this is really keeping me grounded. And I have three part-time jobs right now and I'm exhausted and I'm also trying to be a musician. And it's really helpful for me to just have this consistent thing that I can hear every day. And I can hear the same person talk to me every day about stuff that's interesting to me. And he wrote back, well, or maybe his intern wrote back, <laughs> um, glad to help out Marin. And I was like, okay, that's something. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but the meeting was, it was quick. We took a, a quick photo. Um, Ben mentioned that he really enjoyed a recent interview that he did. And Marin just kind of said, oh, yeah, he's a cool guy. And then that was kind of it. Um, mm-hmm. Wasn't really super noteworthy. But, mm-hmm. um, but that, that's a, a place where being it, that is not a, a famous I ever crave. Really? Yeah. Being, being the guy on the other side of that desk right. on, on a, a line of people who have decided they love you, but it's not you. I know. I don't want that either. I really don't. What I want is like, 
I want like praise, but I don't want to, I don't need fame in the sense of everybody knows me. I just want people to say, you did good (laughs) or, or I loved that. It's really just when I, yeah, like you say, when I, if I imagine myself in the position of a comedian doing a meet and greet after a show with a huge line of random people, that sounds like such a drag, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think something, I think I do like the vision of myself being well-known. I just wouldn't want to have to face it on that sort of personal level. I, I really, this was so much fun. And if you're comfortable, I have one great picture of uh, Zara Bodhi, my friend who's in Sweetback Sisters. When she was a little kid, she got to meet her uh, idol. Oh, what's his name? Wonder Years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fred Savage, yeah. And, 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 and she, you know, she knew it was coming and they were going to this event and she was going to meet him and she was, and then it was suddenly happening. And the picture is so amazing. Because she's so like, no, this is starting and ending at the same time. And, and Fred's like, hey. Right, like it's already over. Yeah. yeah. So I want to see the picture from the meet and greet. And if you'll let me use it, I go up to put it up on the Facebook. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. Cool. Well, thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Nora. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. Hey, everyone. Jamie here. Solo, a couple months after this conversation took place. I've been editing this episode, and I, I found that there are a few important things I didn't ask Nora, so I called her up. Hey, Jamie. Hello, Bulldog. What up? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am very well, considering. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Today was fine. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, um, so you haven't been listening to you talking to me for the past few days, so you might not no. <laughs> be quite remember every word you said in sep- September. Yeah, I think, yeah. No. Yeah, there, there were a couple of things that I feel like I, I was very negligent in not bringing up, and one, a couple of things that I, one thing that I just thought of listening to you. Okay. Uh, the first thing is that, Neither you nor I seem to have a problem with something that other people do, and that is you seem very comfortable comfortable being a fan. You wrote letters to Mark Marin and to Ainsley Wills. Yes. Yeah, I did. I've always done stuff like that. I mean, I wrote a letter to... Um, TY, the company that makes beanie babies when I was a little kid, asking them to like make a beanie baby because I had an idea for one and I just wanted to like, I just wanted to like somehow be in contact with what I thought was this kind of magical, um, company that made all these amazing toys that I loved. When I was in seventh grade, I wrote a letter to Michelle Branch, who was I was a big fan of at the time telling her that she inspired me to play guitar. And I drew a little picture of like the two of us, like each with our guitars and I like colored it. And I, yeah, I've, um, it's almost like I kind of consider it a, 
it's a compulsion and it's not that I have no control over myself, but, um, yeah, when I'm really into something, I just, I compulsively need to try to, uh, connect with it in, in that really intimate way. And it's something that I'm a little, that I sort of feel embarrassed about, but, but not that embarrassed. Yeah. It's, well, it's interesting, right? Because in the moment it just feels like the right thing to do and it's usually not until i've had some time apart from <laughs> whatever i did that i feel embarrassed about it and um you know i feel the embarrassment when i look at those old like any sort of relic that reminds me of a time that i was really obsessed with something or with a with an artist or a musician and i i maybe i maybe I don't know, um, went out of my way to, to make myself known. Um, it, it's a bit embarrassing. Yeah, but it, it is, but I, I also, I love any, I love a legitimate excuse to tell someone that, that I think what they do is great. I, I don't know why I just, it, it, it makes me happy that it, that I love their stuff and it might make them happy to hear it. I, I suppose there's a certain amount of ego in thinking that they would care. I mean, I always go into it with a hope that it'll be received positively and that I'll get something back. Um, but I don't even know if in the end, if that's what it's about, it's more like, I don't know. It's, it feels a little bit like the same satisfaction one might get from like writing a blog of just, you know, let me just, throw this at you. <laughs> and I don't know if, if I'm like that, uh, in person, like when I, when Ben and I stood in line to meet Mark Marin, I don't think I said anything. I mean, I just said like, that was great. Um, but for some reason in the email, I, I really had no problem opening up. So there might be something there about, you know, the veil of the internet sort of freeing me to try to make those connections or whether it was like a letter that I wrote, you know, back in the day. Yeah. I definitely feel the same way. Much easier to express uh kind of fan like adoration without yes. being face to face. And yeah. I also get to do it without, it's sort of a nice excuse. If they don't get back to me, you can just be like, well, they probably never saw it. And I think, you know, I think I mentioned to you that as soon as I saw your podcast and that and as soon as I saw that you were interested in talking to non-famous people, before I even knew what I would want to talk about, I thought to myself, oh, I want to do that. And um, I don't know, maybe, you know, it might just go back to some sort of wanting attention, wanting to be heard um, in in whatever way, whatever way that may be, I don't know. The other major topic, we didn't talk about performing at all and how it feels to be in front of people live and, and the difference between those two kinds of attention. Right. Well, I think, um, I don't think that I have a very performer personality and I don't think that I... Um, I don't think I, in my everyday interactions with people, 
I don't think that my desire to be seen and heard is apparent. I don't, maybe it's a part of me that I, through many years of living life, <laughs> suppressed in some way. I don't know. Um, but I typically do uh, jump at the opportunity to make myself seen or heard and or to do something that uh, would result in me receiving some kind of uh, praise, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's a thing I, I actually think about a lot because I also am a musician. I write songs and I, I do have things that I want to say and express and I do love performing. And, um, but I think every performer, while they do want to uh, express themselves, I think, I think if you, if you do make the commitment to perform, I think there is some part of you that wants, wants attention and wants that, um, adoration. I mean, I can't, I can't like, you know, speak enough about sort of the thrill of seeing people I know in the audience from a non-music context, you know, maybe coworkers or, or people who just know me as me, you know, seeing them in the audience at a bulldog show is such a, is such a thrill for me because, you know, I, it's just fun to have this other, um, side of me that maybe isn't completely apparent to everybody, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I think it's kind of thrilling to, to maybe keep that under wraps and then, and then bust it out sometimes, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and how about, uh, how, how does, uh, does that differ from strangers? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very different. There's a whole lot more, um, thought that goes into it. I mean, with a stranger, I, I hope that they, I mean, that's thrilling because then I think to myself, oh, did they come here because they somehow heard of my music and they just like my music, even though they're not someone I know, they're not my friend. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother thing or, you know, maybe you think, maybe they just happen to be here at this bar and they might be a new fan or, you know, um, but I don't, it, it is a, yeah, it's a very, I have a very specific thrill. I find a very specific thrill from, uh, performing in front of people that I already know. And I would say it's almost, it's more thrilling. I mean, it's not more thrilling. It is thrilling and it's also more nerve wracking for that same reason. That might have something to do with the last thing. And this isn't uh, a question so much as something I noticed. When you were talking about, when I, I asked about who who would the, the, the dream audience be, who would you want to appreciate your work? And you talked about Ainsley Wills and you talked about having friends and, and colleagues appreciate your work. But then you, you said, I can't imagine Neil Young or Radiohead seeing a video of me playing which which struck me afterwards because you didn't even say you can't imagine them seeing you play actually in person 
I guess that didn't even occur to me. That thought didn't even cross my mind, even when we were, even when we were dreaming big during our conversation. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine that. That's so beyond anything, and I I almost feel like no matter, even if that did happen somehow, and they said like "good job," I wouldn't I wouldn't believe it or something. You know, I feel like. Oh, you're just saying that or I don't know, because, you know, I'm a fan. But, but the, I don't know. Yeah, the thought of someone not so not so out of this world um, famous or, you know, in their own right, appreciating my work, I think would be is very fulfilling. All right. Well, thanks for, for letting me do this little extra. Cool. All right, Jamie. Have a good night. Thanks. Take care. See ya. Bye. You can hear more of Nora Murphy and Bulldog at getembulldog.com. That's G-E-T-E-M bulldog.com. Kind of looks like getembulldog.com, but that wouldn't make any sense. GetEmBulldog.com. Tis the season of giving, and we here at 15 Minutes, that is Ed and I, and sometimes Anya, would love to get a small or large contribution from you. A couple ways to do that. If you go to our website, 15MinutesJamieBerger.com, that's 1-5-Minutes, J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Uh, the very first post is about how to donate via Patreon or PayPal. You could also just go to patreon.com slash 15 minutes Jamie Berger. You can find us on Facebook by searching for those same things or on Instagram or on Twitter at 15 mins Jamie B. Simple pitch. If you like the show, please help make it our job. Thanks. Next week, I will be back with a conversation with Gordon Giebert, who is the dean of City College of New York's Spitzer School of Architecture. But what we talked about much more of the time was the fact that he was a child actor in the 40s and 50s, including uh, in the Robert Mitchum Christmas Romance Holiday Affair, which I look forward to listening to in the next week. Uh, I hear it's really sweet and fun. That fame line that Nora was talking about that she initially wanted to call, you should call it. Tell us a story about fame or anything else you want at 872-215-6467. That number once again, 872-215-6467. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.